HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Hello, cheesy people. This is Jessica, and welcome to Cutting the Curd. My guests today are Scott and Andrea Robbins from Urbanstead Cheese, a creamery, a cheese shop, and tasting room based in Cincinnati, Ohio. With a community-focused approach, they have built a space that produces award-winning cheese and brings people together. And they've only been at it for about six years. So Scott and Andrea, welcome to Cutting the Curd. Jessica, thanks for having us. So, Andrea, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us about Urbanstead Cheese and what the name means? And uh, I also noticed you also have on your website this tagline, Cheddar for the Better. Absolutely. Um, so, as you mentioned, we're an urban creamery. We are, we're in a neighborhood that's probably two to three miles north of downtown Cincinnati. And that was really our goal was to create an urban creamery with a farmstead cheese focus. And so Urbanstead cheese only made sense. Um, since we're not farmstead cheese making, we're Urbanstead cheese making. Um, and I love that. Really? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I, that was not the original name we came up with, but, um, then we, it, it just, we, we kept playing with it with our branding firm and that really made sense. Um, our mission at Urbanstead is to make world-class artisanal cheese with a mindset of cheddar for the better. And cheddar for the better, it's about making high-quality, award-winning cheese, but it's also about doing so with a community mindset and really thinking about how can we make a positive contribution to our local community of Cincinnati and our food community in Ohio but also to the greater cheese community and all the decision-making that we do runs through a litmus test of cheddar for the better. Does it align with that? And it really helps us guide the direction that we take urban stead cheese. I love that so much. Uh, and I, and I love this idea of cheddar for the better being about so much more than just cheese. It's really about what people can do in their communities and for their communities through something like cheese. It could be, it could be something else. You guys are doing it through cheese. So what is the history of Urbanstead? What, what's your backgrounds? 
because it's not in cheese making, right? <laughs> it is not in cheese making. And the timing of our, uh, our conversation is really opportune. This week, we celebrate six years at Urban Stead Cheese. We celebrated six years of cheese making. Two weeks ago, we made our first batch of cheese on February 13th, 2018. And we opened our tasting room doors on February 23rd, 2018. But to your point before Urbanstead, neither Scott nor I were in cheese making. Scott's been in the food industry for, gosh, Scott. I'm, 35 years. I've been in all different capacities of food business. I worked with James Beard World Winning Chefs. I'm a certified sommelier. I've opened up, I think, 18 different restaurants around the country. So I have a strong restaurant background. I've enjoyed and loved cheese the whole time. It was something that I always wanted to, to delve in. I enjoy fermentation. I enjoy chemistry. And I think that's passion kind of shares itself. And we used it uh, to make cheese. Yeah. And before Urbanstead, I was in the corporate world. I left my corporate job in financial reporting and accounting, my undergrad's accounting. I have an MBA in business. And I was in the corporate world until December 2017 um, and then joined Urbanstead full-time pretty much the day after I left my corporate job. And we went full steam ahead. You know, that being said, like the year and a half to two years prior, we really started Urbanstead, I would say in August of 2016, that we started building everything. And Scott started a long time before that, building his knowledge and overseeing this project. But really, uh, early 2018 was our kickoff of cheese making and our venture here. And did you two, did you say uh, when we talked the other day that you actually both have families rooted in farming? Yeah, absolutely. So my both Scott's and my grandparents were dairy farmers, and I still, um, my uncles and cousins still dairy farm, probably uh, two to three hours north of here. And Scott's family no longer is in the dairy business. I would say that was probably a much smaller operation than um, more, how many cows? Well, they about 15, but this was when I was really young. But it was a very impressionable time for me, milking cows when you're a kid running around on the farm. So something that I think really it pays homage to you know, our grandparents and, and bringing back the, the world of the dairy that, as we all know, is extremely difficult to be a dairy farmer. Yeah, especially at a small scale. Um, we all know dairy farms are growing in size and we're really lucky to be working with a small dairy farm here in Ohio. In your journey towards making cheese, was there a moment where you were like, okay, here's where the vision is coming together. Uh, can you tell us about this like visit to cowgirl creamery? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott and I, so Scott was in the wine world at this time, I gosh, I bet it was 15 years ago. And we, whenever we traveled for personal or for his, in the wine business, we always made it a priority to find 
local creameries, local cheese shops. It was just a real side passion of ours is to, to visit those shops and creameries and get some local cheese while we were there for our travels. And we were in Sonoma and uh, on a wine trip and Scott really wanted to go visit Cowgirl Creamery in Petaluma. Um, and I don't know, Scott, we walked into that building at, at their old production facility there. And, you know, it was a, it was an approachable barn. There was a window into cheese making. It felt like it really brought you into the fold of cheese making. And that really, really piqued our curiosity and our interest. And I, I remember, you know, we obviously left there with a cooler full of cheese that we enjoyed mm. throughout the week. Um, amazing cheese. But we were kind of on that point at an entrepreneurial journey of what was our next step? I knew that I didn't want to stay in the corporate world. Scott had a real passion. Scott and I both had a real passion for entrepreneurship and what that was going to look like. Um, we knew it was obviously in the food space, especially Scott's background, our passion. I'd say, you know, food is both of our love languages. Um, and it just, I remember looking at each other on that trip and walking out of cowgirl and thinking this, like somehow this might be it. And it really just hit a note with our back, you know, our background of both of our grandparents having being dairy farmers and Scott's, I think a maker at heart. He, I mean, gosh, you've brewed beer. You've. Yeah. Fermentation is always something that I've always really enjoyed. And as we thought about this cheese venture that we were trying to put together, Caldwell Creamery just made sense for us because it was a modern barn that they turned into a, a cheese facility. Something that kind of resonated with us, something that we could actually do. It wasn't a huge process facility like some of the larger manufacturing plants that we'd seen. So we wanted to make artisanal, handmade, old-world style cheeses, and that setup just made sense for us. Plus, it also kind of played into... And Cincinnati is a huge brewery town. So there's lots of breweries in town and they all have their own tasting room. So we kind of and kind of put it in perspective. We could do a cheese brewery in a sense with a tasting room. And basically that'd be the first introduction to our cheese to our tasting room. So Scott, on that tip, what what is that? How are you making cheese in an urban setting with a farmstead mindset? <laughs> Being a farmstead mindset is you know, you want a sense of terror, a sense of place. Um, and that's kind of what we created at Urban Set. Um, we wanted to find the best milk store, the best partner we could find, and bring the milk to the city, kind of show people where their food comes from. Um, if we were in Wisconsin or mine, you would, cheese making is very prevalent. In southern Ohio, it is not something that most of our customers see on a daily basis. So bringing that to them, allowing them to come in, we have windows into our production win uh, production facility we have windows into our aging rooms we allow people to kind of see what we're doing and explain the process i think that's kind of what i wanted to do um the farmstead version is just uh, the terroir we wanted it to be uniquely cincinnati um you know using the ohio valley molds ohio valley milk we you know cincinnati proud 
We're using Ohio Proud Milk. Um, so that's kind of where that all comes from. Where is this milk coming from? We have a great partnership with a milk source. Uh, it's a third generation dairy farm that's about 45 miles due east of Cincinnati. So uh, not too far away. Um, they are, it's all jerseys, which was one of the things that we were looking for when we started wanting to create Urbanstead. I um, just believed in that high protein, high uh, butter fat milk that would just make incredibly unctuous cheese. Uh, and they've been a great uh, partner with us the whole time. Uh, we used the same milk, the same single source for six years now. And one of the things that struck me when I was talking with Andrea ahead of this episode was when, uh, Andrea, you were talking about Cincinnati, and like Scott said, it's a city of breweries. And uh, you also said that Cincinnati is a moldy place um, and that it, that it turns out to be a good thing for cheese making. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by Cincinnati being a moldy place and how does that benefit you? For most people, that would not benefit them, to your point. Um, it's people who move to Cincinnati, I think, are always a little bit shocked at what, uh, how many allergies are really, really bad in Cincinnati. Um, we're kind of in a river valley here. Our shop isn't even a mile north as the crow flies of the Ohio River. And it's very, um, we have a unique mold profile. One, um, one of Scott's mentors, Peter Dixon, was here in November of 2019. And Peter's comment to Scott was, you guys have a lot of mold on your cheese for a for a new facility. You know, we didn't inoculate our aging rooms. And I think we've learned that, like, we almost have to really control our molds because they like to grow here. Um, we've got, we really, we just have no challenges getting mold growth in our aging rooms. And mm -hmm. I think that there's a unique flavor profile. And, you know, to Scott's point, Jessica, when we talk about terroir, I think it's an, a unique opportunity that we have. We actually have like a duality of terroir. We have the terroir of the farm, but then we also have the terroir of this building. And, you know, if we were a farmstead cheesemaker, that would likely all be in pretty close proximity, but we get the opportunity to bring that milk and its terroir back to the city and combine it with the terroir of urban stead cheese in East Walnut Hills. I love that. And it's one of the reasons why I was so excited to talk to you, because I think this idea of urban creameries is I think it's the future. I, and I think it's um, like you're saying, it, 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 it provides new opportunities for terroir and for understanding the environments um, of, of cities or, you know, my daughter likes to call them rhubarban areas where you see the, I like it. Um, the growth. Yeah. Right. Because the growth of urban areas is, is, is sprawling and, and, you know, kind of encroaching on more, um, rural areas, even, you know, yes, there's the suburbs, although, <laughs> you know, it's just sprawl, but I think there's, yeah, there, even those are getting more urbanized. So this idea of, of terroir is really becoming more complex. And, um, I love that. Can you 
tell us about the building? Because I know uh, there's a lot of stories about this building you're in. Um, What is this building you're in and how did you find it? Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about Scott spending a lot of time in advance of August of 2016, he spent a lot of time looking for the right location. Um, we wanted to invest. We knew we wanted to be in the city. We wanted to be an urban creamery. Um, we wanted to be in a up and coming area, but we knew that there, you know, there's certain constraints that we had in choosing our facility. And that included, we probably had about five priorities. One of them being in the city. We knew we needed between six and 10,000 square feet of space. We really wanted to be in a, a single story. We knew that doing our work would be easier in a one, one story building. Um, we wanted to use existing real estate. And that was really, really critical, Jessica. We talked about that last week. You know, there's so much vacant real estate throughout the United States. Um, We've really, a little bit of a disposable culture that we live in, and we wanted to revitalize a building. So we found in this neighborhood of East Walnut Hills, Evanston, we're on the border, the old East Walnut Hills Medical Clinic, and it sat vacant for almost 15 years before we bought the building. It's 8,300 square feet, so it fit that parameter. We also, it was really important to us to have a parking lot. We keep our milk truck behind the shop as well as our delivery truck. It's good parking for our customers. It's approachable. We also knew we wanted to own the building. Uh, to do this level of tenant improvement and investment in a building that we wouldn't di- couldn't own would be, it just didn't make sense for us. Um, and we really, really love the fact that we're part of a neighborhood, you know, mm-hmm. in a more rural environment, you're not as close to your customers. And it's really, really special to have people come visit us from afar, but like our every weekend regulars who are part of this local community, it's, it's really, really special. It's location, 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 right? That's what everyone always talks about. Location, location, location. And there is um, something to be said that once you have overcome the obstacle of getting the milk to the creamery, you're pretty much where you need to be with regards to a customer base, but your customer base is growing. So, um, yeah. So in just six years now, I see that you're popping up on cheese counters, uh, in more parts of the country. Yeah. 2023 was an exciting year for us. We decided that 2023 ACS was really the first time that we felt ready that Scott and I felt ready, but we also felt like our cheese was ready to show on to a broader audience. And we decided to do meet the maker at ACS and had the opportunity to meet so many amazing people and show our cheese. Obviously we we've been to ACS every year since we've started. Um, but last year was the first time we took our cheese and we were introduced to FMA and 
a distributor out of Brooklyn, New York, and they have allowed us the opportunity to distribute our cheese on East and a little bit of West Coast. Um, but before that, we really, I, I would say we were not hyper, well, started out with hyper-local distribution, Cincinnati, and probably within 50 miles of here. And then we started to grow for Midwest distribution, and that was really focused Cleveland and Nashville, as far west as St. Louis with our local distributor. But 2023 was a really, really, um, it was a big growth year for us in terms of, I mean, it's so exciting you know, the same Instagram post that you're talking about. I mean, it's incredibly exciting to see our cheese at these amazing cheese shops and counters. I definitely want to get into more about the cheeses you're making. We're going to take a break and have a word from one of our wonderful sponsors. And then we'll be back with Andrea and Scott Robbins of Urban Stead Cheese. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. This is Jessica. We are with Andrea Robbins and Scott Robbins from Urban Stead Cheese of Cincinnati, Ohio. And we are talking about urban cheese making and the idea of community and having a farmstead mindset in an urban setting. We are covering all of these topics. It's just so exciting to hear about, uh, Andrea, you talking about the repurposing of a building, which seems to be a central theme to your story. Uh, the way that is produced uh, when you're making cheese also gets repurposed, correct? That's going somewhere? Yeah. So to your point, you know, when we think about farmstead, it's, or urbanstead rather, in a farm with a farmstead mindset, we're going to the farm. In fact, we went to the farm yesterday, picked up milk, um, bring it back here to the city about 45 miles. And then every week on Thursday, we have a local pig farmer who comes to the shop and she picks up usually five to 600 gallons worth of whey and she takes it back to her farm. It's actually not that far from our dairy farm. Um, and she takes it back to feed her pigs. And then we have the opportunity to purchase her whey or rather her lard. And that is the lard that we use on the outside of our cloth bound cheddar. And so, you know, really closing that loop the same as you'd close that loop probably on a farmstead environment. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the pigs are on the farm next to you or even on your own farm, but we're, we, we found a way to do that with multiple partners, um, here. And it's, that's been a critical piece of our relationship. And 
obviously, you know, we don't want to put way down the drain. Um, it's not good for the system, but it's also, I mean, it's just such a valuable resource. And so to be able to give that to her and provide a small pig farmer with another source of, um, feed, I guess I'd say is Mm -hmm. we're really proud to be doing that. And then you get to use the lard on the cloth bound cheddar, which Scott leads me to ask you, what is the unique flavor profile of a Cincinnati cloth bound cheddar? I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. I I kind of think of my cheese making as like a chef would think of and making a dish. I think I want it to be very balanced. I think it's important. Big, bold flavors. Uh, maybe just a slightly sweet, uh, enough acid to balance that out. I'm big into texture. I want it to be crumbly, but not too crumbly. Uh, and I think finish is in a very important part of cheese. I wanted to remind you for the next 30 seconds that you enjoyed a beautiful piece of cheese. So those are my basic core things that I'm looking at when I try to create cheese. Um, we, the molds in the Cincinnati area have created really unique nuance of flavor, old world flavors that we've created. Uh, you get some butterscotch, you get some wonderful milkiness to our, our cheddar, uh, and then lots of just little, little nuanced flavors that I think that combine to make a wonderful cloth on cheddar. Okay, so two things came to mind when you were describing the cheese. Number one is you nailed it. You nailed it. That is exactly what I tasted when I tasted the cloth-bound cheddar. It was this earthy, um, kind of that classic earthbound uh, cloth-bound cheddar profile, but with a little bit of sweetness, which I've picked up on other kind of Midwest cheddars. So that was definitely there. The texture, exactly how you describe. You could see a little bit of where that cheddaring process came in. You can see some of the, what you know, it crumbles the way you would expect a really beautifully aged, slightly acidic um, cloth-bound cheddar would be. And uh, you describe it like someone who's worked in wine. And I think that that's <laughs> incredible, <laughs> you know, to bring that kind of way to talk about flavor and texture mouthfeel like it's definitely you know those are the two things that came to me to me as you were describing the cheese was oh my god this guy this guy's worked in food and has talked about a palate (laughs) before um but you also make a gouda let's talk about that gouda because talk about a mouthfeel there's some big crystals in there we got some amino acids so we wanted to when we started herbicide we wanted to make memorable cheeses and also kind of different cheeses, things that you didn't necessarily see in the market all the time. Uh, we kind of stayed with what would say name recognizable cheeses, Gouda, cheddar. Uh, but our cheddar, we're making a, a larger version of cheddar. Uh, excuse me, a larger version of Gouda, you asked me out here. Uh, and we're making it natural rye. Uh, so we don't see a lot mm-hmm. of natural rye Gouda's in the States. I believe that imparting that Keep aging, allowing the cheese to breathe, keeping it at, at, uh, in the low 50s allows the, the cultures to to basically to multiply and to, to bring down amino acids quicker that way. Uh, so I think that our, our Gouda just creates a, just has a wonderful depth of flavor that it's really tough to recreate with a, a wax seal. We're also, I think, uh, uh, Jessica, really... We're long aging our Gouda, you know, and that has, 
a lot of benefits. It also has challenges. You know, it's a labor intensive cheese. All of the cheeses are labor intensive for, you know, at, I'd say our Gouda is like 16, 17 pound wheels and a natural Rangouda. There's a lot of flipping. There's a lot of vacuuming. There's a lot of taking care, really taking care of those rinds. And, um, a lot of people, you know, are shocked by the fact that in fact, the Gouda I sent you, Jessica is just shy of two years old and wow. Yeah. Um, so that's responsible for all that beautiful flavor, but I think Scott's goal and the team, the fact that we're getting our cheeses to 15 to 18 months, sometimes more than that, I think is really hopefully unique. Um, we see a lot of young Gouda in the U S as you know, and we really wanted aging to have Mm -hmm. play a large role in the flavor of our cheeses. That kind of goes to me, that kind of goes along with the Cincinnati story. I mean, we have all of these cities like Cincinnati that are going through transitions, right? Transformations in industry have histories that are a little bit more about that kind of, you know, like these are not rolling fields of, you know, beautiful pastures. There's something a little bit rougher and tougher about urban settings. And so I think a natural rind cheese fits in perfectly, but you started with quark. So quark is another cheese you guys make you and you, you do very well with. And of course it has that fast turnaround so you can get it out into the market. But can you take us back to that first day when you guys first made cheese, it was quark. And I love love hearing about it. Yeah. And you, you uh, made a lot of it that first day. (laughs) We did make a lot of it. Um, We made a lot of quark without any customers. And I, so why quark? Uh, So Cincinnati is, you know, when we were planning Urbanstead and Scott alluded to it, but you kind of have to pick your, I'd say your initial cheeses before you really start building out your facility. And Scott and I both knew Quark was a no, it was non-negotiable. Quark was going to be one of our core cheeses. Cincinnati is so German, um, very, very strong German roots where Cincinnati has been settled, was settled originally by the Germans. In fact, one of our neighborhoods in Cincinnati is called Over the Rhine. And when Mm. the Germans settled here, um, they, we had a, uh, there was a canal that ran through downtown Cincinnati and they likened it to the Rhine river. And so that's how that neighborhood got its name. That That's how Cincinnati or how German Cincinnati is rather. Um, and so we wanted to bring this Eastern European, traditionally Eastern European German cheese to Cincinnati. And to your point, it's also, you know, we needed to balance our long age cheeses with a cheese that we could get to market more quickly and turn some cash flow. Um, but to your point, we put 1,500 pounds of milk to cheese making on February 13th, 2018. And we made over 300 pounds of quark and we didn't have anywhere to sell it to. And mm-hmm. I remember him and I looking at each other like, what in the world are we going to do with all this quark? Um, and what did you do? <laughs> yeah, well, we, we sold some of it here. Um, we, you know, we went from 
So we didn't open. I bet I don't remember if that was the first quirk that we sold. I thought we sold made another batch before we opened, but um, we sold some here in the shop. There was a German restaurant at the time that the chef had reached out to us and he had heard we were going to make quirk. And he said, I want quirk as soon as you have it. And so I could think Scott carried in over a hundred pounds of quirk to that chef. Um, I don't even know if we sold it to him, Jessica. I think we just gave it to him. Like we have so much quirk. We don't even know what to do with it. Um, right. Right. And now, you know, we're incredibly, incredibly excited ever, you know, we have folks who maybe lived in Germany or grew up in German, Germany or somewhere in Eastern Europe. And we're familiar with Quark as a product and they come to us and they are just so excited to find local Quark. And they said, you know, people say, I've looked for Quark for years and I haven't been able to find it. And I sent you Quark. I don't know. Um, it's a little thicker than maybe some of the more commercially produced quirks. And that was something really important to Scott and I too, is to make that with, uh, I'd say again, old world style cheeses that we're making it, um, naturally he hangs it in bags and lets the whey drain overnight. And then we process it. And a lot of chefs use it in town. They're using it, you know, maybe with, basil and tomatoes instead of a, with kind of a riff on a caprese chefs are baking with it. They're just really finding how incredibly versatile quark is. Um, we probably make anywhere between three and 500 pounds, uh, uh, probably close to a thousand pounds a month. And it's become a foundational cheese for us. That's so great. I love, I love the, the story of, of, the quirk story, the origin story. <laughs> um, because I think yeah. a lot of people when they start making, when they start making cheese and their, you know, their new creamery, it, it, there is that challenge of like, do I make the cheese and then find the customers? Do I find the customers and then make the cheese? And so just hearing it, you know, just you sharing your story is going to be, I think, of great interest to a lot of people and probably also very familiar, um, reminiscent of maybe when they started, so I want to just go back to the the idea of sustainability and repurposing because I think you brought up a good point about the amount of real estate there is out there that's sitting empty and we're all trying to figure out in our communities what to do with these spaces. And uh, And I love the idea of maybe we don't have to move to the small rural town where land is getting very expensive. Like maybe there's a way to stay in our community and find a space within it and create something new. And, um, and there are other cheesemakers who are doing this in different parts of the country. And, um, I do, there were just a couple of things I wanted to touch on. One is, um, when you moved in, the building was not empty. And I just love what you told me about, about like, what do you do when you get this space and it's filled with equipment, (laughs) not, not cheese equipment, but like not cheese equipment. (laughs) <laughs> it would have been the best haunted house. Jessica, if my, in, if my insurance guy would have let me make a haunted house out of this, um, it would have been an incredible haunted house. We bought a building that sat vacant for 15 years and it was an old medical building and it was almost like they closed up shop and walked away. So, and then, you know, there had been squatters in the building. Um, it was pretty rough. And 
So the first phone call I made was to a haunted house and mm-hmm. asked them if they wanted to walk through and see if there was any equipment in here that they wanted. There was an old um, dental chair sitting almost where Scott and I are sitting right now. And I think that that is found its way into the haunted house. Um, <laughs> a bunch of old scales, just old medical stuff. My goal, Jessica, was to keep as much out of the landfill as I could as we demoed this building. So then my second phone call was to Habitat for Humanity. And there was a lot of office furniture still in the building and they came and took all of that. One of, uh, something Scott and I are both really, really proud of is the fact that um, we are a Silver LEED certified facility. And in achieving LEED certification, we were able to keep more than 80% of our demoed structure out of landfills by reusing them in other places. And that's really been a focus of ours throughout this process is to find ways. And again, it's cheddar for the better. It's to find ways to reduce our footprint. And we wanted to do that from the get-go, even with construction. I love that. I was going to ask you about that silver lead certification. Um, Scott, is there a cheese that you don't currently make that you would really like to to explore? Like, are we ever going to see a Cincinnati blue? I hope so. And when you <laughs> talked about that would be the one cheese that I would really like to make. Um, Talk about mold, right? Like, yes. <laughs> we have indigenous blue molds in Cincinnati in our facility that we've never inoculated. And every, uh, as you know, clock down cheddars, every once in a while, we'll get a, a little blue vein in them. And the blue itself tastes amazing. So, yeah, at some point, that will be the cheese that I would like to, to recreate and uh, isolate the blue and make a true Cincinnati blue cheese. So do you see interest in learning cheese making from people in your community? Like, is, is employment? an issue? Have you struggled with staffing? Cause I know a lot of, a lot of places do struggle with that. Yeah, for sure. And I'm going to let Scott talk about it with cheese making, but Jessica, I think, um, you know, we're not in, like Scott said, we're not in Wisconsin. We're not in Vermont. We don't have a bench of cheesemakers to pull from. And so I think staffing and finding people who are passionate, I mean, we all have our story of how we got into cheese. And so finding people who want to create their own story of how they get into cheese has been one of our biggest challenges. Scott's doing an incredible job building a team of cheesemakers. Yeah, to Andrew's point, there really isn't any cheesemaking history in Cincinnati from that standpoint. So pulling from that talent pool is, is very difficult. We really have never had a person with cheesemaking experience come to Riverside. Uh, we have people that are passionate for food, passionate for fermentation, passionate for creating a world-class food item. Um, it, it allows me, actually, I, I, it, I would love to have more people, everybody in every business in the country would probably like to have more people, but it allows me to basically teach uh, cheesemaking from one-on-one. Um, they don't have any... Yeah 
preconceived notions. They've not come from a big facility that this is the way we do it. I mean, I don't know if we've created techniques and processes, processes here at Urbanstead that may be unique to, to cheese making. I really don't know. I'm not coming from the cheese world, but it seems to all work and we're all working together. We're all learning, you know, we're always trying to get better every day. And I think that that's our team is, is embracing that mantra and we're doing it as a team and getting better every day. I'm really proud of the team. The team that Scott's built right now is as strong as our team has ever been. And we always talk about rowing in the same direction and they are surely doing that. And the the cool thing that I'm seeing happen is like now they're going out and seeking out information independently and bringing it back and sitting down with Scott and I, and we talk about it and kind of, you know, throw around different techniques that they're seeing and researching and bringing ideas to the table. It's really, really exciting. So you are in the city of breweries. So I need to ask before we end our time together, what are your favorite beer pairings for your cheeses? Is there a pairing in particular that that stands out for you, local brewery and one of your, any one of your cheeses? I really love a great stout in our street chain. Um, To me, especially this time of year, there's nothing better than you know, just you know, just the umami, the the flavor profiles. I think they blend very well, and yeah, just give me a good stout, a big hunk of street chin, and you're happy. Make me very happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I and I do want to point out that the clockbound cheddar is called Street Ched, which is such a great name. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, and then, how about you, uh, Andrew? Do you have a favorite pairing? Oh, that's like choosing my favorite child. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a tough one. I love. Or are there any uh, Cincinnati breweries we should keep on our radar when we're buying your cheese? There. Oh my gosh. It's hard to pick. Um, We have so many great Cincinnati breweries. So in our tasting room, to your point, Jessica, we only serve Cincinnati brewed beer. Um, We feel really, really strongly about supporting our local makers. And so we feature a lot of their beers in the tasting room, whether it's um, Mad Tree, Rheingeist, Urban Artifact, uh, Westside Brewing, uh, Listerman. Gosh, Listerman's not even a mile away from us street side brewery. And we don't really, um, you know, there's really micro breweries and then really significant large breweries that you probably can get at your local shop, um, that are starting to do, or not starting that have a really nice national presence. And so any of those breweries that I talked about, I really, I really love a Schwartz beer. Um, I like the way a Schwartz beer a good Schwartz beer uh, looks like it's going to drink dark, but it drinks light. And I think it's beautiful with our Gouda. I also really love like a good sour beer with our quark that a good fruity sour beer with our quark, I think is fun. Um, I'm an equal opportunist. Yes. No, I'm loving all of this and taking notes. And I think for anybody who's looking to create pairings of American cheeses and American beers uh, now have an opportunity to do that with uh, Cincinnati. So um, lastly, are we going to see you at ACS in Buffalo? 
You betcha. Kind of in your neck of the woods. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit closer uh, drive than Des Moines was. And I'm really excited because to your point, we have started to make some pretty significant inroads into East Coast distribution. And, you know, hopefully by the time ACS rolls around, we've made some other distribution growth. It's one of our big 2024 goals is increasing our distribution footprint. Um, But I'm excited to be at ACS in Buffalo and be closer to some of those shops that we've started to sell at and hopefully make, um, you know, be able to make connection points with the people selling our cheese. Mm -hmm. For sure. Well, I know I'm looking forward to meeting you both in person this summer. And I really want to thank you, Scott and Andrea, for joining us on Cutting the Curd. And uh, I look forward um, to seeing your cheese pop up on more counters. Uh, Yeah. Jessica, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. And I want to say to everybody listening, you can always find Cutting the Curd on your favorite streaming platforms. We appreciate any kind of review you could leave or some stars. Definitely spread the word about us. Visit us on Instagram at Cutting the Curd. And you can always find us at our home platform at Heritage Radio Network. Thank you for joining us. Curd is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.